This week we read The Lightning Thief, Chapter 1. I accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra teacher. Oh, I thought I smelled pie. Hi, all our buddies, and welcome to the Jackson 2, the only Percy Jackson read-through podcast available in the gift shop at a 40% markup from MSRP. I, for my part, am Old CW, realizing just now uh, that my co-host didn't know the name of this show. William, we're called the Jackson 2. You son of a bitch. I was playing around with some titles. And I came up with The Jackson 2, and I said, that's a very dumb joke that makes me laugh a lot, and it's a bad idea. And then it didn't go away. Isn't that, like, all of your jokes? It's worked so far! I mean, I'm t- I am also terrible at naming things, so I don't know if I can judge. In any event, yes, welcome to The Jackson 2. William and I wanted to do a project together. Yeah. He'd never read Percy Jackson. Nope. I'd only read the first series. And what with the uh, the Disney series coming up in a couple of years now, uh, God willing and the COVID don't rise, <laughs> uh, we thought <laughs> we would get ahead <laughs> of the trend and do stuff. <laughs> I don't think I meant that to be quite the critical hit, apparently it was. Oh. Nevertheless. William, why don't you tell us what you know or what experience you have with Percy Jackson? If um, Also, introduce yourself to the people. Uh, hello, people. I am William Mills, longtime friend of Casey, uh, yeah. also longtime enemy of Casey, but this is our di- yeah. This is the dynamic of all of Casey's friends I've gathered. Can't have one without the other. My experience with Percy Jackson is somewhat limited. I know I watched... Uh, they did a movie of the first book. They did two movies. At some point. Yeah. Uh, I never saw the second one. I don't think I even remember there being a second one. Uh, no, me I, neither. I think that might have been straight to DVD. I could be wrong. Oof. Uh, I know I saw it, but I don't really remember much about it other than, like, mm-hmm. general form. Um, yeah. I never got around to, watch, to reading the books because I think I was... I, I think I was a little older than the target audience when they started coming out, so, and I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't crazy into reading as a teenager anyway. That's fair. So I, it just passed me by. But then, as an adult, I started hearing all these great things about you know Rick Riordan and how he handles you know different subject matters. It's like, huh, maybe I should actually get into his stuff. Yeah. Uh, we were chatting about, we, you know, we've been wanting to do a thing for like seven years. Um, and the fates have conspired against us, but your luck has run out world. Yeah. Now, now you have two insufferable smarty pants to deal with. Yep. Um, uh, and we were, we were just like, you, you know, you are somewhat familiar with the books, I think. Correct. I've read the first series. There are at count, I believe, Five series? There's Percy Jackson and the Olympians. There's the Heroes of Olympus, which is the second series. There's uh, Trials of Apollo, which I think is the third, like, Greek 
centric-ish series, and then there's the Magnus Chase books, which are Norse mythology, and the Cain Chronicles, which are Egyptian mythology. There's also at least one book of short stories that kind of connects them all, and I would be very surprised if Uncle Rick was not working on that Mesopotamian mythology. Oof. Let's get some Uncle Gilgamesh. Absolutely. But yeah, you you are familiar with the books. I am not, so we we thought it would be fun if we did... Uh, like unto the final podblum, uh, RSVP. A, a seasoned veteran of the series walked a newbie through it. Uh, yes, that is the conceit. And like, seasoned veteran is generous. Uh, I read them when they came out, so circa, what, oh nine? Late, yeah, late, like late, late oddies, I think. Yeah, the last one, the final, the, 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 the last Olympian came out, and I want to say like 2010 or something. I was working at Blockbuster when it happened, so it couldn't have been any later than 2010. <laughs> I remember working at Blockbuster, reading that book, and then my now wife came home from the pictures having seen paranormal activity. So if that doesn't paint just the most perfect picture of a time i don't know what does oh. in any event uh yeah i read the first series they're very good uh apropos of nothing i i understand his last name is actually pronounced riordan and that uh it is not uncommon to call him uncle rick so much like tolkien uh wrote the hobbit as a bedtime story uh for his terrible children <laughs> um uncle rick was a teacher for many years in tejas and wrote these books, um, at least partially, out of that experience, and for his children, uh, because his children, at least one of them, I don't know how many he has, um, at least some of them suffer from some, not suffer, have some combination of dyslexia and ADHD, and he realized he had never seen any, like, children's hero uh, with those attributes portrayed, not necessarily in a positive light, but in a less than catastrophic light than is usually portrayed in our culture yeah and so he said well let's let's do this and uh he made a thing that it's not you know in a more just world this would have been the new like it it it's not great to say the new harry potter but that's kind of the i mean like the culture it's called percy jackson and the olympians i think it's fair to draw some amount of comparison it's a kind of spiritual successor yeah. series yeah and like why uh why a british transphobe like got to create a mickey mouse level property and then decide you know what i'm gonna do with this be the power? worst hurt people like exactly i we've all been in a similar situation where something we loved as a ch as children it turned out, on in retrospect, maybe wasn't that good, or the person yep. who made it was awful. Yep. Boy, howdy is the Monster Squad chock full of homophobia. And I think it's fair to be sad when that happens. Yeah, it is. And it's also sad that when something better comes along, like this, which is better, honestly, on almost every level, yeah. as, I, as I'm sure we'll see, uh, that it doesn't get the same level of attention and success and similar. But uh, nevertheless, William, let's see what you think. Let's see what our listeners think. Let's see what we think as we begin The Lightning Thief. Yes. Chapter one. I accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra. Where were you in my school? Yo, for real. Ugh. So, 
if I may, uh, I just want to jump off with saying I wish this is a, was a thing that happened more often. Teacher vaporization. Title chapter. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I open I you know I open the book. The first thing you see is a you know table of contents, and like I was immediately hooked in because the titles of the chapters are phenomenal. They're ridiculous. They're so good. I become supreme lord of the bathroom. Three old ladies knit the socks. Of How death. can you not be hooked by that sort of thing? It's very good. It's one of the tragedies of growing up because adult literature doesn't do that. Like even the even the sillier stuff generally doesn't do that. No, it doesn't. And I think there's something very. Here's the thing, Uncle Rick, very smart dude. Uncle Rick, if by some cosmic coincidence you end up listening to this, please come on our show and talk to us. We will probably be awestruck and sit here stuttering like dum-dums, but we would still love to have you. Absolutely. That said, he did something very smart and very important with these books, which is that he made them appeal to children and younger kids, but he understood that those kids would eventually grow up. Mm -hmm. And so he built a fish hook that would work on small itty-bitty baby fish, but that would continue and stick with them up to when they became big grown-up tasty fish that you put some butter on there and you serve it up with a nice sprig of thyme wild rice um exactly and i i think building some of that staying power in there has to be a lesson he learned from harry potter right yeah. because that was one of the mistakes like if you you're either a potter person or you're not yeah right like there's no there's there's really no middle ground and i think the polarization of that is admittedly probably partially what led to its success yeah. but also limited its audience yeah and this way a grown ass man like yourself a man who's about to create to finish his electronics engineering degree is that what i understand electronics technology certificate technology certificate um is is able to just pick it up and say, okay, this is clearly worth my time. Yeah. So that was a good call on Uncle Rick's part. Mm -hmm. uh, and it opens by setting a tone. Mm -hmm. Quote, look, I didn't want to be a half-blood. So from Jump, Percy Jackson, PJ, you know, it depends on how well you know him, but PJ is... A reluctant hero. Yeah. He didn't ask for this. He's not thrilled about it. This is not wish fulfillment. No. Unlike, unlike Harry Potter. Um, you know, H Harry Potter made you hope you were going to get an owl, but never suggested that one might actually arrive at your doorstep. Yeah. Meanwhile, this is starting out with saying, I'm a half-blood. It sucks. If you think you're, if you think you're a half-blood, run away. Yeah. Drop this, and that's interesting because, like the um, like the 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 what what do they call it on uh, TV tropes? The manuscript hypothesis, like when a, yeah. a fictional work is actually supposed to actually teach you about something uh, through coded messages and similar. That's that's usually under the assumption that like information is power, and you need to know these things. And this is saying no. The more you know about this, the more danger you are in. And yes. so drop this and run. The the fourth wall will not protect you. Where do we meet PJ? Uh, we meet PJ on the bus going to a field trip to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. The Met! Yes. Actually, this is... 
I, I actually have in my notes to ask Casey if there's a word for this. Um, so this book, the way it's written, purports yeah. to be an actual document written by Correct. Percy Jackson. And I wanted to Correct. to ask you if there is a word for this, because I keep running into it in various media. Yeah, uh, I believe TV Tropes describes that as the as the manuscript hypothesis. Yes. Let me, let me take a look here. And I have a very strange thing where I don't really like it as a literary device, generally, but a lot of my favorite books do it, and I don't know what how to feel about that. Yeah. That's fair. Like the Dresden Files, or the, yeah, um, the Dresden Files, Lord of the Rings. You know, Tolkien's writing to a large extent does it. Um, Dinotopia does exactly. it, and it's like literary agent hypothesis. That's what it's called. Yeah, 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 and it's like I don't know. Something about it feels like it's a little precious. Yeah, it's, it 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 all feels like it's calling attention to its artificiality, and I'm not a fan of that, but. A lot of books I love dearly do it, so I guess it's not that big a hurdle. Well, that's fair, and I, I think part of that is that by calling attention to its artificiality, as you said, that's a way of, like, of like lampshade hanging the unrealistic aspects and saying, like, this is the buy-in you have to make, right? Yeah. Like, meet me halfway here. <laughs> yeah. And Because that's just what, what we need to make the mechanics of the story work. And, uh, yeah, Sherlock Holmes was a similar thing. They were stories, uh, allegedly in world written by John Watson about yeah. what went on there, meaning that they were not necessarily the actual events, but a portrayal of the actual events. Yeah. Which is important and interesting in this context because we only get the story from PJ's perspective. Yes. And PJ, for all his virtues, is also frequently kind of a piece of shit little 12 year old son of a bitch. <laughs> Middle schoolers are the worst form of humanity. They're feral coyotes is what they are. L like, like elementary school kids are precious. High schooler yes. kids are generally chill. But it's like, in that middle portion, you have all of the energy and lack of, you know, like, intuition and restraint as a, you have a small child, but also yep. a growing, like, sense of knowing what things are, so you're more of a danger to yourself and others. I mean, there's, there's a reason, like, Lord of the Flies wasn't a bunch of fourth graders or a bunch of tenth graders, right? Yeah. It, it, it was specifically about British middle school kids. Yeah, I recently read uh, that book to my wife. Now, well, I say recently. It's probably a year ago now. Hi, welcome to 2021. The last two years have been merged into one big, dumb, jughead double digest and probably will be for the rest of our lives. They stole yeah. two years from us. Weird. Anyway, um, and like uh, Lord, of the, Lord of the Flies is extremely upsetting. Um, surprisingly beautiful prose in a lot oh, of yeah. places, which I don't know if that was intentional in a contrast kind of way. I don't know. This is not the Lord of the Flies podcast. That comes next time after we abandon this after 10 episodes. Absolutely. That's not true. We're going to go through this the whole way. So, yes. Percy, for his part, is a it, troubled youth. He is a student at Yancey Academy, which the book yeah. uh, it doesn't spell out, but... Oh, no. Actually, it literally does. Never mind. Uh, I, I looked back at the page, and it literally says 
a private school for troubled kids in upstate New York. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh by the way, this is an extremely New York book. We are yeah. not New York people. Don't don't fucking add us. We we don't we don't care. I I have never been to any part of New York. I've never even I've barely no. even been outside of California. So if, if there's stuff about New York that we don't get, it's like just accept that. No, New York is the America of America. It expects everyone to speak its language and know everything about it. And I'm just, I'm not going to entertain that. I'm not going to enable you, New York. Andrew Orsi, if you end up listening to this, you're the only good thing about your city. Get out while you can. So anyway, they're at the Met, which sucks uh, because uh, field trip. But it's led by Mr. Brunner, who is a motorized chair-using, coffee-smelling, Latin-teaching, token-cool teacher badass. He rules. Tweed jacket with the elbow patches motherfucker. Yeah, he's, quote, the only one who doesn't put PJ to sleep. Quick note about Mr. Brunner and a character we'll meet in a little bit here. This was written in, like, 2006 or 7. Uncle Rick uses some language that, in this day and age, is borderline to outright ableist. He has acknowledged this, apologized, and gotten better in subsequent books, unlike certain other authors we can name. Yeah, there's there's a few things where it's like, hmm, I wouldn't have done that, but... I don't yeah. know if I would have done better in 2006. Oh, yeah, 2005. Yeah, fuck that. The thi- Oof, wow. Yeah. Basically... Bush administration. <laughs> Freedom prize. Basically different planet. Yeah. <laughs> the, ra- the invasion of Iraq is a good thing. It'll save our freedom somehow. <laughs> uh, I was literally 12, and I... That, that, that was my first, like, conscious introduction to, like political stuff it is not it was not good for me yeah that's fair um you know i pointed out at one a few years ago now probably close to 10 years that uh my generation like literally had not known a time when there wasn't a war happening when the u.s wasn't involved in a war and my high school principal uh don phillips it's unlikely that he'll ever listen to this but just in case he does hello sir um he pointed out that like nah dog check out this timeline like there are maybe 20 total cumulative years that the United States has not been at war in its history, period. Yeah. In any event, he recounts, uh, uh Percy Jackson, uh, little PJ, uh, he recounts his various troubles. Fuck. Is it too late to call this show the PJ Party? No. We're, we're yeah, calling probably. it that now. We'll, we'll re-record the intro. No, I've already got the Twitter handle. I'm already paying for the hosting really? space. I've already got Shannon drawing up the cover art. It's fun. legit. Yeah. So they're having. So yeah. Legit. Oh wow. So they're having a nice field trip. PJ, he just wants to have a nice field trip, right? No accidental cannoning of school buses. Oh, okay. This is definitely something I made a note of that I wanted to say. All right. This kid is not unlucky. The chaperone and field trip venues are horrifyingly negligent. Oh, yeah, criminally like, liable. Yeah, Okay, no. what battlefield reenactment, like, museum thing not only has a loaded, primed cannon, but <laughs> lets small children in the vicinity of it? Right, what, what, what combination of circumstances... I had like, to be in place. What what Alec Baldwin on the set of Rust 
Rube Goldberg machine like, of poor like, like decisions. Either it was already loaded, primed, and like he got access to the firing mechanism, or somehow right. this because he, he, he described that as a fifth grade field trip, I think. This 11-year-old so. somehow managed to be unsupervised long enough to load a Revolutionary War-era cannon. And figured out how to do so, which I think we can agree is more impressive than anything. Yeah, it's like, all of you are going to jail. The other field trip he describes, uh... Uh, they... <laughs> They took a behind-the-scenes tour of the Marine World Shark Pool, and he hit a lever yeah. that dropped the catwalk. It's like, why is that lever next to the catwalk in reach? Why do we even have that lever, Dot Gif? It's like, what the fuck? For real. No, the- We've got problems. We've got questions about the, the infrastructure decisions in this world. Ah, uh, yes. But this is an excellent illustration of the fact that no matter where PJ goes, something happens. He tries to be good. He tries to be a good little dude. But goddamn, if he if he can't win for losing every time, something happens. And this time, he is determined to be good. He's gonna have a nice, boring field trip. He's gonna learn some shit. He's gonna hang out with Mister Brunner. But no, because Nancy Boboffit, that old rascal, is why we can't have nice things. Yes. Uh. Oh, th- this is another point I uh, wanted to say. I am not surprised at all that uh, Uncle Rick was a teacher because he writes yeah. school and yep. children in a very believable yep. manner. So it's like either he, oh yeah, either he very accurately remembers that time of his life, or he has. I was gonna say he has access to children that age, but that is the wrong <laughs> verbiage. Uh, <laughs> Flash his ID card. <laughs> no, I, I get what you mean. And, and that was my thought, too, is that Nancy, Nancy Boboffett, listeners, is a little an shit. agent of chaos. She, For real. She is, uh, she is a pure, chaotic, neutral, little harpy. And, like... Possibly literally, g- given what book this is. I was going to say, it's not without... It's not outside the realm of possibility. And, like... I have to imagine she's either based on a real person or just the distillation of every little piece of shit kid that Uncle Rick tried to teach, and they were just determined to be a provocateur and ruin everything for any everyone. Uh, Nancy Boboffett also described unflatteringly in physical and visual terms a number of times, and that's weird. PJ says, like, some unkind stuff about how people look a couple times, and on the one hand, it's Kind of like the ableist language in that, like, it's 2021, Uncle Rick. We're not commenting on people's appearance. We're socialists now. <laughs> but it, it, but <laughs> it's also very believable that a 12-year-old exactly. would describe the people he hates in such unflattering terms. Exactly. Those are the weapons a 12-year-old has. L- l- right? Like, I, th- I think there is space for a character to be un-PC in such ways. To If, if right. you're, like, pointing out, oh, this person is this way in some ways right because characters with flaws are more interesting and more realistic oh yeah like harry dresden is a horrible misogynist oh yeah and no. it results in him getting his ass kicked and or saved by women at least once a book <laughs> and it's a thin line between you know writing a character 
in those terms and exactly. it's you writing in those terms. Uh and yeah. I love I love the Harry Dresden books. I do desperately wish uh Jim Butcher would stop describing women. Uh Me too. It's it's really funny, but still. It's 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 funny if you don't have to participate in it. Yeah. Um shortly before the release of I think it was Skin Game, the fifteenth book, which is one of the best. It's a really, really good book. It's yeah. Wizard Heist, the book. Um, I was doing like fantasy fan casting of like, let's do a Dresden Files movie. Who's going to be this? Who's going to be that? And I was like, Nicodemus can be Cillian Murphy and all these people, Indris Elba and get all this. And then I got to the women and I'm like, so <laughs> like the way all of these women are described in these books, I feel like I can't name anyone without being a huge perv. Cause I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Jim Butcher forces you to be a perv to think about these people. It's real bad. It's it's not great. All of that to say that uh, characters with flaws are more interesting and more realistic. Uh, Vladimir Nabokov was not a pedophile. You were supposed to understand that Humbert Humbert was the villain of Lolita, and if you could not make that connection, that is on you, reader. Although, uh, going on the 15th tangent in the last six minutes... Um, Shit, that would have been a good show name, too. 15 tangents in six minutes? Well, the fifteenth tangent, I think. Uh, yeah, no, we, we'll. That, that's the pre-show. I have always read Nabokov as someone who themselves himself was victimized in some way, because yeah. a lot of his writing sounds like someone trying to come to grips with what the fuck happened to them. Oh, okay. Like that. That's my personal reading on a lot of it. Like, it, this does not sound like someone who is trying to be, like, aspirational in their writing. It's someone perhaps very unhealthily processing something in their life. Oh. Okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's reasonable. Um, I, I will be honest. I have never actually read any Nabokov or Lolita, uh, specifically because I am, I am afraid of the connotation. Like, cause you know, when, when literature is like forbidden, either literally or just socially, you know, like that can be hard to move past. I don't want that shit in my purchase history, even if I know it doesn't mean what everybody thinks it does. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I've read it for like, um, literature classes and stuff. I, I didn't go out of my way to read it. It's just, Stuff that happened. Anyway, going back to Nancy Bobafit being an absolute shit. God, she's the worst. Throwing chunks of peanut butter and ketchup sandwiches. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> because you hate life, and you you hate life and yourself, like the Democrats. <laughs> um, and yes, <laughs> that was a Simpsons reference. Okay, and yes, uh, we get to Grover, who is PJ's only bud. Uh, mm -hmm. He is, by all accounts, something of a weenie, and yeah. uh, appears to have a muscular disability in his legs. But he does love food, because if a character yeah. loves food, nine-tenths of your character work is done for you. Oh, yeah, no. In, in the first two chapters alone, he is frequently uh, talking about food, described at, in ways around how he is eating, or uh, just similar, and it's like... Yeah, no, this, this this tracks for a teenager. They are black holes yeah. of food. It's true. And you know what? Some of us never outgrew that, and that's yeah. fine. 
Yeah, Grover's the coolest, and Nancy is giving him a hard time on the field trip for no goddamn reason. And, like, is she an ableist piece of shit picking on a dude because he's got a muscular disability? Or is she just an agent of chaos, you know, 12-year-old animal, basically? We have no way of knowing. Regardless, PJ takes issue with this, and he is going to introduce Nancy to Spaghetti Western and the old church rummage sale. Sure. His his punchers. Yeah, he... he... You know. Ben Stein's voice and the warm electric blanket. Mm. Moses Maimonides and Gary, the dust-up cousins. Indeed. He he wants to haul off and uh, commit schoolyard assault. And Grover says, you know what? Let's think this through. As he says, you're already on probation. You'll know you'll get blamed yeah. if anything happens. Which, school being school, Grody. the instigator is ignored, while the responder is threatening with drawn quartering. Correct. Because school is bullshit and always has been. Yes. Uh, And the direct uh, avatar of this drawn quartering is Mrs. Dobbs, who is... The worst! The worst! She's just the... She's she's grown-up Nancy, is what she is. Yep. She's a tin pot tyrant who who... Loves to lord her power over people who have no recourse against her. She's a, she's detested local Haradan, Mrs. Dodds. She hates PJ's entire ass for no good reason. Mm -hmm. And of course, she adores Nancy. Of course, because she probably was Nancy as a child, because she's the worst. Exactly, she sees herself reflected. PJ even tells Grover, I don't think Mrs. Dodds was human. He looked at me real serious and said, you're absolutely right. Where's the mm. foreshadowing bell? I don't have a foreshadowing bell. Put a, uh, j- j- just put a gong noise. I'll just put a ding noise in here. Ding dong, motherfucker! Ding dong! Listeners, join our Patreon so we can get a foreshadowing bell. There's gonna be a lot of it. Anyway, yeah. PJ decides that the weapons of the wise man are words, and he tells Nancy to stuff a butt in it. Yeah. Uh, but the worst possible thing happens, which is that the room goes quiet at the worst possible second. And he shouts, shut up, as at, at the exact quantum moment, silence falls. Correct. The picosecond. Uh. That Mr. Brunner, the cool guy, is uh, trying to teach us all about Greek shit. Yeah. Uh, this, this is something that kind of tripped me up in the book, because he's, he's described as the Latin teacher... But he, yeah, thank you. But he is shown teaching Greek and Roman history and mythology. But he also as brings, if they're one thing. But he also brings up Latin language, and it's like these things do not go together. <laughs> they don't, and like, admittedly, Greek and Latin are not as different as. Uh, as you know, our culture would have us believe they they are related ultimately, but like they're like, two it, distinct cultures. They're two everything. Like pick a lane, sir. It's not great. No, William. I will say this: uh, that may be foreshadowing. Poss- probably, uh... possibly. We need the foreshadowing bell. We really need to get on that. That'll be priority one once we get some funding up in this. Uh, listeners, you know you need the foreshadowing bell. Mm-hmm. How else are you supposed to know when stuff is happening? Absolutely right. So Mr. Mr. Brunner says, hey, dog, oh, why don't you tell me what we're talking about since you're such a goddamn expert? 
And uh, PJ, to his credit, can spin off the top of his head the story of Kronos or Kronos or Kronosh or Kronut or however the kids are anglicizing it these days. Yes. Uh, eating his children and the resulting Titanomachy that followed. Mm-hmm. Now, this is interesting. So... Mr. Brunner draws a line between the between the gods and the titans, and like Which, that's not how that works. I mean, it does kind of because uh, in the myths they are delineated as different things, like the titans. Well, they're they're different generations the, of gods, right? Yeah. But they're they're all gods. They're all gods, but the titans more represent like primordial concepts more uh, right. while the gods are more um they're closer the olympians yeah they're, the olympians the olympian gods are more grounded they personalities personalities and they are their purview is things which are much more human you know there's you know city building and wine and uh you know, you, you still have the big gods like Zeus, who is god of thunder, but that is much more right. direct than the god of the void, you know? Yeah, and that's, that's an interesting breakdown because, like, you have, you have the, the demigods, you know, your, your, your Hercules and your, I think, I think Perseus was one. Yeah, well. Perseus, Achilles, um, I think was one. Exactly. Then you've got your Olympian gods. Then you've got your Titans above them. Above them, you've got the Protogenoi, who were like the fundamental forces of nature and chaos. reality, like the sky and the ocean. And well, yeah, and chaos is even way up there. But what I always loved, was like there's a bit in one of the Homeric hymns where Zeus is talking about how like you cannot understand what I am, humans. Like it's basically the trope of what do they call it on TV tropes? Um, a form you are comfortable yeah, something with. Like that. He's like, you look at me and you see big bearded John Goodman daddy from Hercules, but like you could not begin to comprehend what I this is the tiniest sliver of me interjecting into your reality. And like as far above you as the other gods are, that's how far I am above the other gods. And I always love that idea that like when you come down to it all divinity is an eldritch abomination that would shatter yes. your mind if you were ever directly exposed to it. In the traditional sense, probably. Yeah, and I'm here for that. I say that as a religious person. Like it's 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 important and good. Anyway, so they're talking about that, and Mr. Brunner uh, questions PJ about how this applies to life. What if your dad tries to eat you? What are you going to do about it? And he's pushing him on it. He's saying it's vitally important for PJ's life, and that he will accept only the best from you, Mr. Jackson, like a good teacher does, and like kids are completely incapable of appreciating at the time. Yep. And... Yeah, no, he... <laughs> okay, so... uh, I want to stake out my favorite part of this chapter is Mr. Brunner in all his forms. Uh, okay. Because he describes how he pushes him hard, and he describes right. tournament days where he dresses in armor and points a sword at kids when he calls on them, and oh, yes. like, I, I would like a book about Mr. Brunner, please. Absolutely. He deserves he deserves his own entire series. I want to know more about this dude. I want to know how he has survived the PTA and every force that should make this a completely untenable and uh, untenurable teaching style. 
Yeah. Uh, and PJ, PJ does not appreciate his style because uh, he is dyslexic and he has ADHD, and Mr. Brunner expects right. him to be better. He's, o- he's only than ever all described as having ADD. Oh, is is he? I thought he mentions his dyslexia. Uh, he, you know what? That yeah, might be. That might be. He, have, that he might has be dyslexia uh, and attention deficit disorder. Correct. Uh, as opposed, so ADD, not ADHD. Forgive me. Uh, I do not have either of those, and I am unfamiliar with the distinctions between them. My apologies. I know that there is a difference. I'm not. I am not in any kind of medical field, so I don't really know what the difference is. Yeah, uh, and and furthermore, I don't know that they're hard distinctions. Um, yeah. I don't know. Anyway. So they're going outside. PJ's disappointed. He's sad. His field trip has turned out to be a real bad time. It's more like a feels trip. So they're going outside to eat dang lunch. Another ding on the foreshadowing bell I like. The main exhibit is a giant stele, which is a yeah. type of grave marker that... Well, it's it's a type of marker that they use. It's a large stone column. This one it was a right. grave marker, and it's described as a grave marker for a girl about our age. And later, yep. uh, at the end of his talk with uh, Mr. Brunner, he describes Mr. Brunner as took one long, sad look at the stele like he'd been at this girl's funeral. And I yes. really like that bit of foreshadowing. It was very good. And, like, whether... I mean, that that is foreshadowing for reasons. But also, it's just, like, character development. It's just building a character. That, that is just a... Even if it's not a um, foreshadowing, even though I'm pretty sure it is. That That is the ki- type of line I live for in books like this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fleshing out a great character. It's telling us not only about the character, but about the world. Yeah. But a- after he's had his... I expect better of you talk from his his favorite teacher, which, you know, is the worst thing in the world. In public, no less. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he goes outside to eat his lunch, and he describes... It's storming. Yeah, storming. The weather's been weird lately, yeah. says PJ. Yeah. Huh. Ding. Uh, and he says, uh, I figured maybe it was global warming or something, because the weather all across New York has been weird since Christmas. <laughs> Which, uh, it's different now. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, this, it sure does, on though. On this 60 degree Christmas. There's a, a really, a really nice apple-centric friendship moment between Grover and PJ. And we get, um, we actually get a nice little, like, interior moment with Percy. Uh, yeah. he, you know what? He misses his mom. He's talking with his friend Grover, and he just has a moment of... Because it, it establishes that his mom lives in Manhattan, and that all he really wants... Because uh, Yancey Academy, where he is, is a boarding school, and all he really wants is to go home. Correct. And it's his sixth boarding school in six years, which is pretty bonkers yeah and he she says he's probably gonna kick out again yeah he's gonna wash out he's just not built for it he's having a real hard time he feels like he doesn't belong anywhere he just wants to go home he feels basically like a 12 year old who's trying to be a grown-up and just wants to go home and misses his mom and is having a lot of trouble balancing all of those perfectly valid emotions that yep. nevertheless don't want to coexist and shortly afterwards nancy bobafit returns to be the worst god the worst God, she picked the wrong fucking day, didn't she? Oh, yeah, no, she she picked the wrong one. Uh, dumping her lunch onto Grover's lap, and Percy 
is in this moment established to have had a temper issue, which, you know, yeah. been been there. Yeah. Who among us? And, by all appearances, pushes her into the fountain. No, no, he's a paragon of self-control, he says. And he doesn't know exactly what happened or how, but yeah, she ends up in the water somehow. Yeah, it's like, I totally, I, the, you know, kid who gets sent to the counselor for my temper issue, totally didn't lose my temper at the kid no. who threw food at my friend. Witness my t-shirt reading completely innocent. And furthermore, I have trouble believing that Grover would really be entirely upset about free food. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he, he'd he be like, oh, crackers, yay. Could be worse. Could yeah, be so, worse. Oh, are these the nacho lunchables? Thank you. Yeah. So, there's a, there's a susurrus. Uh, in the, the salsify mains of the crowd of kids about the water grabbed Nancy? What? That doesn't make any damn, William, that doesn't make any damn sense. That has to be a typo. I'm so, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but susurrus? Yeah, you know, a susurrus. Like a little, like a little. Okay, it sounded like you misspoke the word sorceress, and it's like, no, no. No, nor did I, nor did I mis mispronounce Chowrus, the awful giant centipodes from Skyrim. Although there might be a sorceress, we're not sure what Mrs. Dobbs. There Dobbs might also is. be a giant awful centipode, whether or not they're called a Chowrus. So these it remains to be seen. Uh, but no, susurrus. It's a good word. That's your word of the day, listeners. Yeah, my you're my own personal word of the day, calendar, Casey. Yep, I'm inevitable. You will be educated. And she ends up in the fountain despite his best efforts at self-control. For the record, we are not given definitively to understand he got her into that fountain. But nevertheless. Oh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's one of those things where it's like, it's, this is a cool thing he does because it, it takes place entirely from Percy's point of view. And. He is an unreliable narrator. The, it says he had his mind go blank and then she's in the fountain. And it's like. Yep. Which, you know, I get it. I was also mm. the worst when it came to my temper when I was sure. certain ages. Yeah. Twelve-year-olds, arguably, not designed to control their emotions super well. No, no, no. It's a wonder that we don't, like, just yeah. self-destruct. Yeah, and it just... Mrs. Dodds appears uh, and tells PJ to fucking come here already, guy. And yeah. uh, Grover, God bless him, tries Tru to take the hit. But Mrs. Dodds, continuing to be the worst, uh, no is dice. just like, nah, I'm punishing Percy and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Yep. She pulls him into the museum in front of a frez, a frez of the gods. So, okay, I, I, this is this is something I didn't, because um, I, I, I'm going along with both my notes and the book. Uh, sure. Just to keep, keep things fresh in my brain. And also to pull quotes, because why not? Uh, it's very helpful. Yeah, I've just got my notes, by all means. Go on, what do you got? So he uh, maybe he does have ADHD because he he's he describes himself as having both ADD and ADHD, and okay. I don't think you can have both. So maybe he know. just doesn't know the difference. I, you know, it's possible. Also, maybe Uncle Rick doesn't. Because <laughs> like, uh, it's entirely possible. I mean, God bless him. He and he's he's clearly doing his best. But also, it was two thousand five. So yeah, but yeah, she pulls him into the into the museum. Uh, yep. Mr. Brunner is apparently just captivated by some paperback novel he's pulled out yep. of nowhere. Uh, and some celery he's eating, because he likes the taste of water and wet rope. 
I mean, do you want to be regular and also miserable with your life? Eat celery. Yeah. Um, yeah. Official position of the Jackson 2, fuck celery. Yeah, like, I will eat it, and that's my I only won't. opinion. Like, I'm going to die one day. In any event, they stop in front of a phrase of the gods, and as if you hadn't guessed yet, Mrs. Dodds monstros out. Yeah, she uh, unfurls horrible leathery wings. Which, she's been described as wearing a leather jacket, so I think that's supposed to be kind of a thematic extension of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, she, but yeah, just in... But yeah, she's just chewing him out, yelling at him, and then just suddenly... Gah-blah! Right, and googly boogly. And then... Mr. Brunner, in my favorite moment, uh, yeah. appears, shouts, "What ho, Percy!" Yes. This is the this is the accent I imagine having vaguely mid east coast British whatever. What ho! Like Ad- Atlantic inflection, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and he tosses a pen to Percy that turns into a sword. Because why wouldn't it? And then he just murks Mrs. Dodds. Oh, he sure does. Sword, monstro, explode. And then sword, back to pen. And it, it is worth noting, and I didn't catch this. Um, I actually, listeners, I was so excited about doing this project with, with William. I had started rereading these, like, just for fun a few months yeah. ago. And I had gotten to the fourth one. And then I proposed this to William, and he said, sure. And I said, okay, I'll go all the way back. I don't even care. These things have great reread value. But, like, I didn't notice this the last time I read them. The sword was, quote, Mr. Brunner's bronze sword, which he always used on tournament day. So not just a sword, of which one would imagine there were a number here in this museum. His personal sword. That he has frequently shown to the children. Correct. It's very good. And Mrs. Dodds, to her credit, does get off a pretty good pre-mortem one-liner. Die, honey! Die, honey! And apparently she did that condescending Texas thing that Uncle Rick was certainly very familiar with, where honey is like one of the deadliest insults in the Texan vernacular. I can feel that he dealt with a teacher or parents from the Midwest and did that sickening, oh, butter wouldn't melt my mouth even though I'm a fucking idiot. Bless your heart, etc. I don't know, maybe I'm just spiritually Dutch or something. I would rather you just call me a fucking idiot. Because... <laughs> what? Do you, not a... do you not know that stereotype of the Dutch? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I do. I just, uh, of all the things I hoped and prayed for, that this episode would go well, that we'd have a good time, that it would work really, really well together, I just, I never expected to hear the phrase spiritually Dutch. <laughs> um, I apologize. That caught me off guard. No, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. We've been watching uh, Ted Lasso, which is really truly excellent. But there's a there's a character named Jan Maas who is Dutch, and and he says these really blunt things like, "Yes, that was an easy goal. You should have blocked it." And everybody's like, "What the fuck, Jan Maas?" And then somebody says, "No, no, guys, he's not being an asshole. He's just being Dutch. It's fine." And they're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> But yeah, yeah, cause, but yeah, no, I, I identify with that to a certain degree, cause it's like, please just tell me the thing. Right. Yeah, no, you and I have talked about this, because I am bad with confrontation, 
and with the possibility of hurting people's feelings and you much prefer open communication and similar and it's it's definitely something i've had to work on but it's i've understood like, that about you that I, I really need to throw something at your face if i want you to know it yeah it, part of it is because i'm just bad at subtext which like right. if someone's trying to tell me no without just telling me no it's very easy for me to just not pick that up yeah that's fair it's like that's reasonable oh i'd love to do the thing but i have laundry or whatever. Says, so much laundry! To, to, guys, to, to, God! To me, that just means, oh, once you're done with your laundry, you'll be available. I'll call <laughs> you later. God. You would never survive in Britain. You'd be a force of destruction. Gladly. I will offend all your social mores if you get to, if it makes you get to the fucking point. <laughs> okay. So, Monstro Explode, Sword yes. Turned Back to Pen, Museum Full of Sulfur. And you know what? I'm not afraid to say it. I've never minded the smell of sulfur. Maybe it's just because I like eggs. But, like, it's uh, a strong smell, I admit. You, but You should visit uh, Mount... You should go up to Northern California, because there's a... Uh, vol- there was a volcanic uh, park where the smell of sulfur perfuses the area. I'd probably be sick of it if I did that. Because, um, like, you don't smell it a lot in regular life. I mean, it only profuses, uh, it, it's like a nature walk park, but right. it's, there are, uh, volcanic hot springs, and huh. they stink like hell. Uh, even though it's incredibly, uh, interesting geologically. Uh, hmm. Good to know. I'm scared of that, because, like, I read this book one time. Uh,. I think it was Footprints of Thunder, which is about yeah. some kind of time quake happens and raptors come back in the Midwest. It's very good. Anyway, <laughs> uh, at one at one point, somebody falls into like one of those, like a volcanic shaft or something, and they get really badly burned. And it talks about how they have like horrible smeared like sulfur burning all over their arms and hands. And I was like, you oh, know dear. what? I don't need that. I think I'm good. Um, a podcast I really enjoy called EXP Share, where two buddies uh, play through all the Pokemon games together. I recommend it very much. One of the uh, hosts says that um, Dante's Peak uh, scarred him for life because there are two... I, I haven't seen that movie since it came out, so more than 20 years now. But um, there's a scene where two people are in a hot spring and like volcanic activity starts up and it just like flash boils them. And so... Uh, even like when he goes to Japan with his family or whatever, he can't get in a hot spring. He can't do it. He's just scared. He's scared. He's going to get lobstered and not in a fun Tom Hardy way. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, PJ goes back to his group, but here's the thing, William, nobody remembers Mrs. Dodds. Yeah, no, uh, they keep referring to a Mrs. Kerr and weird. And even Mr. Brunner says he has no idea what the fuck. Percy is talking about. What the fuck you talking about, PJ? Can I have my pen back, by the way? You're making shit up, PJ. Stop it. Yeah, it's weird. I, I put this down in my notes as, ooh, mystery. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Precisely correct. Exactly right. And yeah, you know, the more the more we talk about it, the more I'm convinced that a lot of these characters have to be based on real people to an extent. Oh yeah, no, like... Even if Mrs. Dodds isn't a caricature of a specific person, like, he took every shitty substitute teacher... Every over-entitled Midwesterner he had to deal with. Exactly. Like... Who got into teaching for the wrong reasons, and, yeah. uh, and decided, you know what, guess what, you're a literal monster. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, Mr. Brunner is the, uh, not the apoapsis, um. The what, the what, the what now? Apoapsis is, it's something to do with orbit, um. Apoapsis? Yeah, apoapsis and periapsis. It's the, um, fur, it's in, in an elliptical, it's the furthest point away from the object and the- Oh, so like apogee and perigee. Yes. Um, oh, okay. Or zenith and nadir. Apotheosis is the um, word I wanted. Mr. Bunner is the apotheosis of every favorite co-worker he ever had. Correct. Every good teacher. I think he's supposed to be an author avatar to some extent, but like aspirationally, yeah. I think Mr. Brunner is the teacher Uncle Rick wants to be or wanted to yeah. be. I don't know if he's still a teacher. And that's the chapter. Yeah, it, it ends with, Percy, there is no Mrs. Dodds on this trip. As far as I know, there has never been a Mrs. Dodds at Yancey Academy. Are you but feeling all right? Which is wild. a fantastic way to end, because it's like, what the hell is going on? Th- th- this this book is very good at um, leaving chapters on hooks. Uh, yes, it is. It's very good at that, despite the fact, because, like, <laughs> you always have to wonder, like, when your character, when Harry Dresden is in mortal peril and you're like, oh no, the chapter's ending. I guess he's gonna die. The last 60 pages are probably blank. Like, you know, we're gonna find out yeah. what the hook is. Like, it's fine. But some, something in our heads just needs that. Yeah, no, it, cause I, I like how this book is formatted so far. It, it has short, like, bite size, it has good bite sized chapters. Like the Da Vinci Code. Uh, sure. Haven't read that one. Uh, maybe that'll be our next project. It's a bad book, but it's a lot of fun. And it's, uh, a very good read because it does have a million tiny chapters that you can just chomp down and feel Uh, super accomplished. Yeah. And I like, I mean, I like media in general that gives you a good place to put it down and come back later. Build in breaks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that's my chapter for the day. I'm going to put it down and go do whatever other work I need to do today. But it's like, oh, it left off on the thing. It's like, I want to come back. Exactly. It it gives you a reason to come back. It's very good. They're very good books. And see, here's the, here's the thing. Like, God, I hope our, our culture and our society and our literary milieu moves on, moves on from Harry Potter at some point. It's not going to be in our yes. lifetimes, but hopefully it happens. No. But like, uh, she who shall not be named, she was good at a lot of things like maybe storytelling wise but not like writing structure wise if that makes like uncle rick Mm -hmm. knows how to write a fucking book is what i'm trying to say like he knows what the parts need to do he knows how how it needs to function as a machine and i think that makes this compulsively readable in a way that other ya series uh, have not, and, you know, I, I think hopefully our vocabulary, uh, even in this show, will move on past uh, Harry Potter, and we'll have other things to compare it to. But anyway, yeah, you want to keep reading. It's very good. Yeah. Listeners, we hope you'll keep reading with us. Uh, this is the end of the first episode of The Jackson 2. We're going to read one chapter per episode. William, before we conclude, in most shows that I do, yes. uh, such as the the final Podblum, RSVP, and uh, the Gerald Field Report, which is on hiatus but ongoing. We have an award uh, that we give mm-hmm. out at the end of every episode to a character or a moment 
that made us happy or that we thought deserved more attention or that was just uh, super weird or, yeah. you know, uh, basically something we thought deserved some attention paid to it. I have I have an idea for a name for this award. Um, and yeah. in the final pod, it was the it was the Huxtable Award in the Gerald Field Report. It's the Monkey Man Award. And I've got an idea for this one, but I wanted to know if you had one. I forgot that was a thing in Hey Arnold. Uh, uh, I do not have any ideas for what to name it, other than... Okay. Uh, I mean, I kind of want to call it the Mr. Brunner Award, because... I figured he... you would. I saw that coming. Allow me to pitch you a counter. Counter sure. offer. I want to hear your idea. The Golden Bobofit. Because she she's awful. Yeah? She's awful. But, despite being chaotic neutral... She's clearly based on every terrible little kid that Uncle Rick ever taught. Yeah. And she's just kind of a perfect, like, artifact agent of chaos. Because, like, the the impact she has on the story has nothing to do with her character at all. Yeah. She just does things. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, 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 kind of, I kind of really enjoy that just as, like, a mechanical story aspect. But you know what? You did not bite on that bait, and you want it to be the Mr. Brunner Award. No, I, 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 I think if we bad. named something after Nancy Bobofit, it should be the worst thing in the book. Uh, oh, that's fair. That's fair. I, I don't think I realized the extent to which you would hate. That, that should be something uh, reserved for something we didn't like or something Shit. that's the worst. Wow. Uh, okay. I apologize. I, I think I underestimated the, the extent of your ire for Nancy Bobofit. I mean, okay. I'm, gonna, I'm 30 years old. You're a grown human, William. You're six <laughs> foot two. There's only so much ire I can properly have for a 12-year-old. Even a fictional 12-year-old. Yeah. I I just don't like... But you have all of it for her. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have the appropriate amount for it. Uh, of it for <laughs> the her. legally sanctioned amount. The amount that won't get you investigated. Okay, fair yeah. enough. All right. Well, you know, the Mr. Brunner Award is just fine. Yeah, just because... No, it's, uh, I agree, because she is definitely based on all of the worst little shit kids. And, and I remember the worst little shit kids from my middle school. Yeah, that's <laughs> It's fair. like, I don't want to give them any credit. Uh, you know what? Fair enough. Uh, elegant counterpoint. I, I accept. All right, then the, the Brunner Award it is. And uh, who? So, so who gets your first Brunner? Just my favorite moment in the chapter. It, like, I don't know what it is about. Like, like... I, I don't know what inspired Uncle Rick to use this verbiage with Mr. Brunner, but when he just appears in the out of nowhere and just shouts, What ho! And yeah. just something about that sparks something very happy in me. It's very it's good. It's like, that is how I want to come to the rescue on something. Just That's how you want to move through the world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that is an excellent first Brunner Award. My first Brunner Award uh, is going to go to Mrs. Dodds for Die, Huntney. Yeah, no, fair enough. It made, it made me happy. You know, she uh, she was who she was. She could be a horrible, leathery, winged monstro and also uh, a condescending Southern Belle. So, you know what? Yeah. Fair play to you, Mrs. Dodds. Yeah, you know what? I can't argue with that. That is also a pretty good moment. Well, we each get one, so no argument is necessary. I'll only argue if if you pick something that is like you need to elaborate. Why do you like this? <laughs> well, and to be clear, it's not necessarily something we like. It's just something that struck us. 
But okay, still. I can I can take that. Yeah, but still, but still. Well, folks, that's the end of the first episode. That's the end of the first chapter. Please feel free to read along with us. Please tweet your thoughts and your, get, you know what? Tell us who won your Brunner Award. You can tweet at us at the underscore Jackson underscore two on Twitter. We would love to hear your thoughts. And uh, you know what? We got ourselves a Patreon uh, over at patreon.com slash the Jackson two for two dollars a month. If you want to give us some money. You can get every episode as soon as I can get them edited, uh, which I'm not going to lie. I'm a grown man with a wife and a job. It's not going to be as regular as it could be. Don't worry about it. But this, it's still, they're still going to be early. Yeah. And, and if you should like to give us $5, five human dollars a month, that's all, just $5, you get exclusive pre-shows where we talk about all kinds of stuff. William, what did we talk about in today's pre-show? Uh, today we talked about, uh, very upsetting movies. We did. Um, we talked about some video games. Yeah. Uh, we talked about some holiday business. We did some good. books. Books, It was yes. very good. Yeah, we talked about Carnage and Venom. Yeah. Yeah, it was good stuff, so you should probably go see what that's about. Uh, and if you should like to, for whatever reason, uh, you can email us at thejackson2pod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you write us a letter and it's nice, uh, we will read it. Or, you know what? If it's entertainingly mean, even. That's fine. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> if it's interesting or entertaining in any way, we will read it and respond to it. Yeah, fair play to you. So uh, if you enjoyed this show, please come back. Please tell a friend. Please, every show asks you to do this. I know. I'm sorry, but it's actually very important. If you enjoy this show, please leave a review in iTunes or wherever you get your uh, whatnot. It's actually very, very important. And I wherever will try this is, it. Wherever this is hosted, give us a- engagement. Exactly. Please do. So next week we will have read the, well, well, let's see. Next week we will have read chapter two of The Lightning Thief. Three old ladies knit the socks of death. Correct. Has PJ come down with museum madness? What size ink board does that sword use? And how much chlorine would you need for a fountain that grabs people? I look forward to finding out. William, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. We need a name for our listeners. Uh, the Jackson Pack, no. The two crew. The two crew's not bad. Two crew's not bad. Uh, I kind of like the two we'll crew. Work. If I think of something better, I'll let you know. We'll workshop that. All right. Until then, bye, all our buddies. Bye, all our buddies.